Good morning. We are really glad you're here to join us in worship this morning. My name is Scott. I'm lead pastor here at First Christian Church. We are in week three of a four-week series called Reachable. And uh, so you're going to want to have your Bibles handy in Acts 10. Um, If you need a Bible, we've got um, guest services, folks coming down the aisles here. If you need a Bible or you need a bulletin, uh, these bulletins have some space for taking some notes, has some questions uh, to be thinking about and applying this message to your life this week. It's what we use for our uh, life groups to study the word together, to pray and to study the word and to build relationships together. So if you want one of those things, just put up your hand and they'll get them to you. Um, As I said, this is week three of a four-week series called Reachable. Uh, We are in this process of, uh, ah, yes, thank you. One of the guest services peeps reminded me that if you need a ballot for the uh, voting for officers, deacons, elders, those kinds of things, um, they have those available too. If you're a member, um, just raise up your hand and they can get those to you for voting for those positions today. So... Week three of four in a series called Reachable. We are morphing over a number of months, actually years, um, into uh, what's called a multi-site church. Uh, one church, multiple locations. And uh, we are doing that in the next five months. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that as we do that, our focus is not merely on building physical space, as if this is just a, a physical building capacity kind of issue, but that we are focused on expanding our personal capacity to minister to non-believers. Uh, we want to be prepared to minister to those who don't yet have forever relationship with God through Jesus. So today we're going to study that in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be in quite a few verses today. Um, it probably says 1 through 16, I think, on your bulletin. We're going to go 1 through 35. Yeah, I don't know. That is more than normal. And then uh, 42 through 45. So you'll want to have those two passages handy today. Acts 10, 1 through 35, and then 42 to 45. You're going to have those handy because as soon as we read the first eight verses and pray, we're going to jump right into the text. Uh, Friendly reminder, um, we would like for you to check in on social media, let people know you're here to just sort of say, hey, God's at work here, and I am here today, um, so that those on your feed are aware. Um, also want to remind you to take um, two or five or 27 of these free FCC stickers, uh, put them in the back windshield of your car. We want these to be um, absolutely everywhere in Greene County um, because pretty soon as a part of this multi-site thing, we are launching um, a marketing campaign um, about becoming a multi-site church. Um, and so we want the ubiquity of that logo to be something that we capitalize on as a part of that. Um, also, by the way, please be in prayer for um, our multi-site plans as this week we are signing a contract on what we believe will be our FCC Afton campus. Um, FCC Afton is all I can tell you at this point. Um, the, the contract's being signed. We'll tell you more about that. Um, plenty more. Um, the next week or so. Uh, We've been having to hold off on some details because we need to get the contract signed. Um, It's a pretty important piece of nailing that down before we uh, move forward. So be in prayer with us about all that, if you would, please. Acts 10, 1 through 8. Let's read that together. And then we will pray together and get into our time together in the Word. 
It says this, Acts 10, 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what, is, what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we ask that you would open hearts, that you would refocus our minds and our hearts on the truth that you are God and you created us. And ultimately, our peace and our joy and our satisfaction are found in aligning our lives with your purposes. And so we ask that you would do that today. We ask that in those areas of our lives where we are not aligned with your design for us and how you created us and what you called us to, that that you would make us aware that your spirit would convict us and that you would continue to give us a vision that fits with the purposes for which you created us. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to make fruitful in those areas of our lives where we are in tune with where your spirit is leading, that you would continue to bless us so that we would be a blessing, that you would continue to give us clarity about our calling so that, Lord, we individually, that we corporately uh, would be people who proclaim the good news of freedom from sin to those who are in desperate need of a forever relationship with you. Give us clarity toward that end, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Our story in Acts 10 today begins at Caesarea. Lots of ground to cover, so we've got to jump right in. Acts 10, verse 1. Follow along with me there, if you would, please. But we're just going to look at the, the first two words. So, at Caesarea, pause. All right. So, Caesarea was um, a place that was a large and important Roman city of the coast of the Mediterranean that was kind of up north, built by Herod the Great. It was about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And we need to remember, just like we mentioned the last couple weeks of this series, um, remember that we're in this, this section of, uh, of chapters 8 through 12 in Acts. It's a section of Acts where the gospel is going beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, to the region beyond Jerusalem, and ultimately it says to the end of the earth as well. This is the Judea and Samaria section of Acts, here from 8 to 12, and that's where we are here in Acts 10. If you want to look for that, that key verse that talks about that movement outward of the gospel, it's Acts 1.8. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. So this is what is significant here about the first two words in uh, verse 1 here, at 
Caesarea. And it's not just that the gospel is going beyond Jerusalem geographically, right? As if, as if the, the, the goal was to, to get the gospel to a lad. The, the goal is to get the gospel to people. That's why we say we're helping people find and follow Jesus. We're in this section where it's going outward and the gospel's going out to what's called the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. So the gospel going out beyond Jerusalem is a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that it kind of worried the early Christians, uh, this idea that the gospel was meant to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond them, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, because the first Christians, the first Christians that made up the early church were almost entirely made up of Jews who, convert, who converted to following Jesus. So this whole idea that they were to reach out to people of a different religion, a different culture, a different ethnicity, was an entirely new mission for them. I I want us to understand today the extent to which what's going on in Acts 10 was a paradigmatic, radical shift in their thinking and their understanding of what their mission was. They were to go to different people, a different city, people had different allegiances. They were to reach out to the pagans who didn't drink sweet tea, right? Very different people who don't know that sweet tea is not just adding sugar, right? Like you've got to do that beforehand. So this is an entirely new people with whom they weren't familiar. It's a lot like we, what we've been saying here at FCC about going multi-site, right? That this is a new mission for us. It's why we're doing this reachable series, because we're not just going to multiple campuses, right, to give us more physical space for for, for more ministry capacity. That's a very uh, limited understanding of what we're really asking you to go along with us to do. We're going multi-site to do a reset in our structures and our understanding about what church is and who we are and what we're about. We're, We're trying to reset our hearts to go on a mission to reach those who may not look and feel and dress and act like Christians, like Christians. Those who may not believe in Jesus. Those who may not be meaningfully connected to the church body, right, in a way that helps them become who God created them to be. So embedded in these two little words at the very beginning here, at Caesarea, any early Christian reader of what Luke is saying here in Acts. Luke the Evangelist uh, is who wrote Acts, wrote Luke. This is chapter, this is volume two of that here in Acts. Any early Christian reader of Acts would understand that we're talking about a different animal than Jerusalem and then Jewish culture when we get here to Acts 10. In fact, Caesarea, where this all transpires, was developed by Herod the Great, as a monument to his own greatness. So here in Acts 10, the gospel is going outward into a city where instead of a temple that speaks of the greatness of God, the God of the 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 people of Israel, like there was in Jerusalem, there was a temple there that actually spoke of the greatness of this human king, small k, the, the worldly greatness of this Roman emperor. And he was, in fact, at that time calling himself the son of God, and people were beginning to worship the emperor there in Rome. So it's in that context, we'll pick it up, don't you worry, a lot to cover. It's in this context, keep reading, at Caesarea of all places, there was a man named Cornelius, verse 1, a centurion of what was known as the Italian 
cohort, meaning he was a non-commissioned officer, a non-commissioned officer who had worked his way through the Roman ranks to take command of a group of 100 or so soldiers. Okay, so verse two, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, uh, feared God. We're going to talk about in just a second here. It's a it's a technical term there. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius was a seven habits man. We have the seven habits here at First Christian. And right here we see three of them right there. He's got uh, numbers one, four and five covered. Number one, engage in worship. Number four, pray and study the Bible. Number five, pursue generosity. He's got them all covered here in verse two. He was what they call a God fearer, meaning he was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew who worshipped at the synagogue and who followed the Jewish laws, participated in, in these two main Jewish spiritual practices of giving to the poor and of prayer. But he had not been circumcised. He had not taken that final sort of all-in step. Um, so these God-fearers were not seen as real Jews. They were allowed to worship, but they couldn't offer sacrifices. And they weren't circumcised. So they were functionally considered no better than the Gentiles. No better than, than the non-Jews. You can worship God, but you're not really one of us, was kind of the attitude. But, but, hear my words carefully here. Apparently human-centered standards of piety don't prevent God from revealing himself to someone. Look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, in other words, 3 p.m., that was a set hour of prayer for, uh, for Jews of that time. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel, a messenger of God, who came in and said to him, Cornelius. <laughs> and he stared at him, meaning Cornelius stared at the angel, um, which you would, too, stare at the angel in terror if an angel spoke your name. So after he composed himself, he said, what is it, Lord? He recognized this was a messenger of God. What is it, Lord? Responding with an expression of, of readiness, right? Of being prepared to hear what God wanted to say to him. What is it, Lord? By the way, if an angel ever visits you, just get over the terror. What is it, Lord? Okay. Let's stick to the script. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, meaning God has heard your prayer. He's accepted your offerings as legit, even if those around you don't. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and God has an assignment for you. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa, which is 30 miles south of Caesarea. It's also along the coast. And bring one Simon who is called Peter. We've got two main characters in this that we're going to look at. Cornelius first. We'll get to Peter soon. All right. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is, whose house is by the sea. So Simon Peter, verse 5, is lodging. He's living with Simon, who's a tanner, a leather worker, whose house is by the sea. So, so this angel tells Cornelius, go get Simon Peter and bring him here to Caesarea. So he does just that, verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants, meaning he was obviously a man of some means, and a devout soldier, meaning he was likely a God-fearer just like Cornelius. He called two servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So, Cornelius, Roman official, 
from Gentile territory. He's an officer in the Roman army. He gets instructions from God in a God-initiated vision to send for Peter. That's all we know. That's all we know at this point. Why did he have to do that? Keep reading. The next day, meaning as Cornelius' men were on their journey and approaching the city, verse 9, Peter went up on the house. Uh, the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's where prayers often happened because it was the most private place in the house then. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. The connotation here is that this was a supernaturally directed vision from God. Okay, so God's in charge of this vision. He fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened. In other words, this was from God. The heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, right? This gigantic sheet descending and was being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it, verse 12, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So when Luke says here in verse 12, all kinds of animals, he's intending to make clear They were talking about both clean and unclean animals, pure and impure according to the Jewish dietary laws. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, as soon as the sheet comes down, it's got all kinds of animals on it. And the vision, God speaks to him in the vision, says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. As soon as God says this to him in the vision, it felt to Peter like total heresy. You know how everything is super politically divided nowadays, it feels like? Because the proliferation of information and social media mean your feed is nothing but Republican and Democrat, right? And some of you on one side or the other of that feel like I can't even, I can't even understand how someone would think that way, right? You know how you feel about that? That is nothing. Nothing compared to the kind of heretical feeling Peter has about what's coming to him in this vision. Total heresy. As a good Jew, Peter not only knew that there were strict Jewish laws about what you could and couldn't eat and what you could and couldn't sacrifice, Peter would have followed those laws his entire life. So as soon as the voice of God says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, it felt to him like this, is, this can't be the voice of God. This is the voice of evil. So Peter says, verse 14, in contrast to God's command, by no means, Lord, which, by the way, is not how you talk to God if you plan to obey him, right? (laughs) Peter says, no chance, no chance, for I have never, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, Peter is serious about this. I have perfectly obeyed your law, Lord. I've never eaten anything considered common nor unclean. How can I now go against that? So the voice came to him again. Keep reading. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. 
If I say it's okay, it's okay. And there's something you've misunderstood, not me. We tracking Peter? There's very clearly something you haven't been getting right yet that you need to learn. So silencio with the perfect Peter gig, right? Peter's so stubbornly set in his understanding. He's so sure of himself that it apparently takes three recurrences of this whole scene for it to sink in. And incidentally, since Peter in his past denied Christ three times, the number three has particularly meaningful significance for him. So, verse 16, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, Peter doesn't know what to do with this. He didn't know what to do with this vision. Clearly, there is something he is supposed to learn from this. (laughs) And it probably wasn't just a change in his diet. And the author here of Acts, Luke the Evangelist, wants us to come along with Peter in this journey of his understanding. In this journey of discovering this lesson. Because, and and, and here's where we're headed. If Cornelius is going to be reached, Peter had to change his perspective. This is the whole sermon right here, folks. We'll come back to this at the end. If Cornelius was going to be reached, Peter had to change his understanding. Keep reading, starting at verse 17. This is so good. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, trying to figure out what the vision meant, behold, (laughs) while he's perplexed, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And, again, while Peter was pondering the vision, still trying to figure out what it meant, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. Verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, Peter, to come to his house, Cornelius' house, and to hear what you have to say. So Cornelius is in Caesarea, and he sends men to Joppa, where Peter is, because Cornelius is apparently open to hear what Peter is being sent to say, but isn't quite yet sure about what he's being sent to say. Meanwhile, Peter's trying to figure out what all this means. But notice the next verse. It's beginning uh, to become clearer to Peter here. He's beginning to figure it out. Look at verse 23. So he invited them in, meaning Peter, a Jew, invited in Gentiles, which is the sign that he's beginning to sort of get it here, as his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa, meaning Peter's uh, fellow believers, accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends, which is a cool sign of his eagerness to learn whatever God wanted to teach him. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him, which wasn't wasn't what this thing was about. 
But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. I'm not worthy of worship and believe me. So verse 27, as he talked with him, with Cornelius, he went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, the Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So it's beginning begin to click for Peter. Notice that we've gone from being allowed to eat with all to eat all kinds of animals to being allowed to associate with all kinds of people. Uh, Peter, at least at this point, is understanding this really isn't about a change of diet. So when I was sent for, keep reading. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, which isn't quite totally true, Peter. I ask then why you sent for me. Look at verses 30 through 33 here. Cornelius just recounts what's happened. Four days ago, about this hour, I'm praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, the angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore... We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So, Peter gets it now. He understands this isn't about food laws. And what he is about to say here marks the beginning of a gargantuan change in trajectory for the early church. A total paradigm shift in their understanding of what their mission was. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, verse 34, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, every tribe, tongue, nation, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he preaches the gospel to all who are there. Jump down to verse 42. Peter still speaking. He says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, meaning Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. When God's word is spoken, his power will transform ready hearts. That's why we can have confidence <laughs> that, that telling the story of God's grace in our lives will work with those ready to hear. There's something only He does, but there's a part we play. When God's Word, when the story of His work of grace in us is told, ready hearts will be transformed. His power will do what he can do. When we're called to do what we can do, and we do it, he'll do what only he can do. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And then don't miss the significance of this next verse. Where all those Christians 
the Jews who converted to be Christians had come with Peter, they also get it. This was their aha moment that changed everything for the early church. Look at verse 45. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So two men, two visions, and, and in a pretty real sense, two conversions one from unsaved Gentile to saved believer in Jesus, and the other, Peter, from selfish legalist to selfless missionary. And here's something I, I just continue to come across in this text for me this week. I cannot get away from this as I studied this passage this week. I keep coming back to this thought. God had to reach Peter if Peter was going to reach Cornelius. Peter is the first unreachable person in this story. No way, Lord. (laughs) No chance. God had to reach him and change his perspective and change his heart before Peter understood his calling to reach Cornelius. Now, Peter has said no. God would have found somebody else. Same issue for us. (laughs) So friends, far too many of us continue to struggle with being stuck at pre-vision Peter. We have converted to following the Jesus who is the Savior of our souls as a sort of safe kept on the inside theory, but we haven't converted to following the Jesus who is the missionary to the souls of all who would respond in faith as an on-the-outside actual practice that demonstrates the reality of the gospel in our lives going outward. Far too many of us (laughs) have an outward behavior that doesn't prove an inward claim which is to say that some of us need nothing less than a spirit-empowered conversion of our hearts and our minds to understand with Peter and the early church that the mission of the gospel, if it has truly landed with you, (laughs) comes with the responsibility to give it away. We gather for the purpose of scattering. We are blessed to be a blessing. We plant and we feed and we grow to bear fruit so others can eat. You see, friends, in Jesus, the self-giving God of the universe lived perfectly for us, emptied himself for us, suffered for us so that we could have eternal life. So if Christianity is primarily for you a self-centered pursuit of securing your salvation alone. You are misunderstanding that the essence of following Jesus is engaging in a selfless endeavor that pursues sacrificing for others like Jesus so that they can be right with God and so that you can also know Christ intimately. If you struggle with knowing Christ intimately, it's because you're protecting yourself 
in a way that looks like wisdom, but that is keeping you from experiencing the expanding kingdom of God. If you do not get this and you continue to work hard to orient your life and your resources around your personal mission instead of Christ's, then you do not understand the heart of Jesus that sought you when you were a sinner. And you are stuck in a self-protection and fear that keep you from experiencing what is actually joy to know the intimacy of a walk with Jesus that follows him to a cross where you die so others live. That's what this is. And you sit here today because someone else took that seriously for your sake. If we can't give ourselves to becoming vehicles to reach those who may seem and feel to us like they are unreachable, then we are not trusting the power of God and we do not know Jesus as deeply as we think we do. And we are deceiving ourselves. Many of us need to undergo a conversion like Peter's. God was not trying to change his diet. (laughs) He was trying to change his heart. And he is attempting to change ours so that we can acknowledge with Peter, like he says in Acts 10.35, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That is how the kingdom of God is extended. That is how God reaches those who are beyond reach. He raises faithful and obedient followers and he empowers their obedience and their faithfulness and their work for his purposes. That's what God's been doing all along. That's what he does in Acts, what he wants to do today. And we believe he will do so as we are faithful to tell the story of his grace in our lives. Let's pray, friends. Father, make clear that we have perverted a world you gave to us for our satisfaction through your mission into a project of self. Give us clarity about where you're calling us and what you're calling us to do. So, Father, we would know what we can't unless we give ourselves to you. That there is an intimacy of mission that comes as we experience what you've done for us in Jesus. Shape us and mold us and make of us people who perceive our lives to be about your goodness and glory. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.